You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, I'm extremely excited and happy to be talking about a tool that I've been using a lot lately and falling in love with, and that is FIG, an awesome new sort of transformation experience uh, for, your, for your terminal. And we are happy to be talking about that today with uh, Brendan Falk, who is the co-founder and CEO at FIG. So Brendan, how are you doing today? Going well. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, you know, we are so excited to have you here, honestly. I, I, this is a tool that we first heard about it at this thought when one of our engineers had signed up for it and gotten into it. And so he dropped into one of our developer channels. Hey, I got into this tool. It's really kind of cool. Um, you know, this developer is a bit of a harsh grader. So the fact that he said that it was uh, not as intrusive as he thought it would be was actually a very glowing review. Um, and so from there, everybody started looking into it and, and, and getting into it. And, you know... I think the terminal can sometimes be for developers a very uh, an experience that can really split people uh, between people that ex feel extremely strong there and people that feel that it gets in the way and they would much rather use other tools that, that have more sort of protections. And I think this is a tool that kind of brings a lot of them together in ways that they didn't expect it. So I'm kind of curious for you. First question is kind of how did you arrive here? Like where, you know, where does this... Where did the inspiration for this come from? How is this the problem that you decided to solve uh, with your business? So a lot of questions there. I'll, uh, I can I'll give you a bit of a background. And exactly as you said, the, the terminal was a sort of the original power user developer tool. And it really does divide people. People either live by it and use it for everything, or it is so scary and so foreign to them. Like key bindings don't work. It's this black screen where you can barely use the mouse. Like it, it's intimidating and uh, we are trying to support both those user types because you start off intimidated, but you eventually grow to become a power user. How do we get there? We have an interesting story. My co-founder and I went to Harvard. We both wanted to work on a startup together. We were roommates and we applied to YC and we honestly had a pretty dumb idea when we applied. I won't go into it. We applied, we interviewed with a different idea and we applied for this deferral program where you get in in your senior fall, but you start in the summer after graduating. And the reason they have this program is a lot of tech kids apply to like Facebook and Google in their senior fall. They're not thinking about doing a startup. And YC is sort of saying, well, these are smart. Like these are these are people who we want to be doing startups and we want to fund, but we're losing out to Google and Facebook. So let's give them the certainty that they can do a startup without the like pressure of waiting until months before they graduate. So we got into this program, which is really exciting, but YC is very, like renowned for being very, very transparent and upfront. They basically said the day after we got in, like, we like you guys, your idea is bad, come up with something new. And we're like, okay, you know what? We're in YC, that's fine. And you know, it turns out coming up with a new idea is not as easy as we thought. And we went through a ton of iterations in the sort of eight month period between getting into YC and actually starting YC. And on each iteration, we would come up with another idea. We're solving a problem that we didn't really have. We, you know, we hadn't worked on like a big startup before. We'd worked on little side projects. And by about the third or fourth iteration, we were going back to our terminals about to set up another project. 
And it sort of hit us that, you know, we're solving all these problems that we didn't have, but the terminal was a big problem that we had at the time. We would be setting up a Postgres server locally and we'd be following the same medium article online of like, run these commands, like copy these environment variables over, download the CLI tool. And it'd be the same article, but things would break. And like, we're doing, we did the same process every couple of months and it just wouldn't work. And we're like, wait a minute, why are we using the terminal to do these things that every developer who wants to set up a side project has to do? Like, this is crazy. And we looked into it a little more. The terminal that we use today has barely changed since the 1970s, which is shocking. And every developer uses it. Software engineers, hardware engineers, data scientists, like everyone. That's 50 to 60 million people is the sort of market size we can see. It's like That is huge. And this tool has not changed since the 70s. And in comparison, you look at something like VS Code that came out in 2015 and it is pervasive. Like everyone uses it. So you have these super modern tools like VS Code and so many people are using it. But on the flip side, everyone still uses the terminal. It hasn't changed and you just put up with it. And so this is where the idea for feed came, uh, came about is the terminal is used by everyone. It's so old and so archaic, but it's so useful. And how can we make it easier to use not just for beginners but then more productive for these power users that i was talking about before absolutely and you know so one of the first features of the tool that people will see um and it does go deeper and that's i think one of the underappreciated things of this tool is that it really does have layers that you discover as you use it but obviously the first thing that people are going to interact with is the autocomplete feature now, there are many terminals and terminal assistants and things like that that have autocompletes to assist with things. But what struck me is this, and I don't know if this is just, um, if this is your y'all's particular skill, if this is the result of multiple failed iterations, or if this is just like the slinky, that it just is complete luck that it fell into place this way. But the tool really does hit you in sort of an intuitive way. Like you're, you don't see it, and then you do something, and it responds how your brain would think it should respond. You didn't have to invoke it. You didn't have to add it to the thought process. You just were doing something. And then it was like, hey, <laughs> you know, here's something. And one of the best examples, and people in our chat, again, keep bringing this up. Every day they find something new. People were so excited. Uh, I was so excited the first time I found out about it does your NPM package uh, scripts. So you do NPM yeah. run, and it will help you with the package scripts, which the amount of times that I always forget, okay, in this project, what are the scripts called again? And I would hit NPM run, so it would list them. Oh, right, that's how we did it. That saves me time every day. Another one that people fall in love with is the idea that you can do NPM install, for example, and start typing a package name, and it's going to give you a little preview hint of what the package is, which has both practical benefits as well as catch those spelling errors that you had because if you yeah. wait to see what it autocompletes <laughs> exactly. and it's like, what are you talking yeah. about? And you're like, oh, yeah. uh, there was a typo. So, I mean, I guess, can you go into a little bit about how you all approach this? I, I mean, I know there are also more interesting features, but this is the this is a core feature. This is so important yeah, to get right. Like, yeah. how does this develop? Like, how much of this is intentional? What's kind of your guiding philosophy there? So getting all of these tiny little features all came from thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours of us just feeling it out, of talking to users, of understanding the workflows, of having them say, like, here's what I'm trying to do. And you know, this doesn't quite feel right. It's, it's like you said, we spent so much time making it just feel good. 
And that's really hard to just like build a tool. It, you can think of it like a productivity tool almost. It's like, it has to feel right. All of these tiny ledge cases have to be catered for. Otherwise you're just going to churn out instantly. So how did we get there? The, to like, for people listening to really clarify what we're doing in the terminal previously there, you, you, people are used to Google and they type something and it has all of this predictive text, like, Oh, did you mean this? Or it will show up. I type, you know, what is the best? And then it will auto complete a bunch of things. People used to VS code and there are other editors where they type C O N and it auto completes to const or whatever. And it is, you just hitting tab and enter your entire life. And then you go to the terminal and you don't get any of those hints. It's you are just typing a random sequence of characters. You hit enter and you just cross your fingers and hope that what you've typed is correct. And what's interesting is in the terminal, each CLI tool is a completely different program. It, people think of the terminal as this one thing that once you've learned it, that's great. You actually have to learn the terminal itself and how the key bindings work. You then have to learn the shell and there are differences between Bash and Z shell and Fish and a few of the other shells. Then you have to learn every single CLI tool. And this is what we've spent the past year basically doing is integrating at all of those levels, the terminal emulator level, each emulator is different, the shell level and the CLI level. And, you know, there are on Mac OS at least five, five to 10 terminal emulators that we need to integrate with. There are three shells we need to integrate with. And then there are a bazillion CLI tools that we have spent a ton of time like trying to get those integrations just right. And the way we have approached it is what is the workflow you are trying to do and when you see fig pop up, that should be the whole world of possibilities that you could type in next. This is the original problem we tried to solve with autocomplete is you would type something like git and you're crossing your fingers and you got no idea what's going on. And when you see autocomplete, you're confident in what you type. You know that, okay, if I hit enter here, this is going to be correct. Like you trust the autocomplete to not give you a wrong suggestion. And that's the faith that we have... Tr that's the faith we want people to put into fig. And that's how we've had this idea in mind. When you see fig, you trust it 100%. And if you don't see fig, you've probably done something wrong. Uh, in the early days, it was us doing something wrong, but we've really ironed out these kinks and you know, you should think that you have done something wrong. So little things like NPM is, what is the workflow you are trying to do? When you run NPM install, what exactly are you trying to do? Okay, well, if I run NPM install without any arguments, I want to install all of the packages in my like local package.json. Cool. Okay. So we should, if someone types in npm install or they complete on install, we don't want to hit space automatically for them to then show a list of all the packages because then they're blocked from hitting enter. And we never want to block you from doing this workflow that you're trying to do. So we have to make these little decisions like when you insert something, don't insert a space unless it's guaranteed that you have to type something afterwards. A good example of guaranteed typing something afterwards is git commit dash m, I type in git commit dash m, I have to include a message argument for the dash m flag. Therefore, if you insert on dash m, we're going to insert two little quotes and then put your cursor in between these quotes because we can guarantee that you are going to type a message. Uh, so all of those little things is how can we, one, not be annoying, and then two, what information do we have about the workflow you are currently doing? What can we guarantee? And if we can guarantee something, we'll make you just that much faster. So yeah, if you're typing in npm run, you obviously want to do, you want to complete on your package.json scripts. So let's list all of those scripts for you. Let's make it easy for you to search over them and hit enter and get on with your life because you shouldn't be spending time messing around at the terminal. You should be coding and, and testing and executing this, the, the functions that you've written. 
That is honestly, that that is something that I noticed when using it. When people say that this tool kind of doesn't get in your way, it's not getting in the way of hitting enter. Um, people that use autocomplete, including in VS Code, are very used to it popping up and having the thing at the top be what it thinks is the best match, and it isn't, and you train yourself to hit escape. Get that thing to yep. close, then I can safely hit whatever, hit tab, hit enter. And the one time I encountered a bug so far, I mean, not that there aren't bugs, it's still a, it's still in development, but the one time yep. I hit a bug and it was getting in the way of hitting enter. And it was funny that I that both made me realize how much it was getting out of my way before and how much yep. if it wasn't getting out of my way, it would not be a useful tool to use. Um, out of interest, what was that the bug? Is the, it Do you was, remember? Yeah, I, I can't. I I was I was doing I was changing directory, so I was like mm -hmm. CDing into a directory, and the dot dot stuff. Um, mm. I, I got into a state where it was changing. It was inserting characters, like open a quote or a space or something, and so my terminal wouldn't. It wouldn't go to the next line. I'd have to like get it to end the line, and eventually I I, I just had to shut it down for and then restart it or something like that. Everything was good, and you know this kind of. Yeah, a bug. But what was nice is that I reached out to the um, the support team, and they were back the the same day with, "Yep, we, you're not the first person. Sorry, you got this. You know, it's in the beta package. If you get the the nightly, it'll be fixed. Otherwise, you'll get it. You know, soon. So, yeah, it's both a test. You know, uh, I think my original point was talking about that it's staying out of the way with the enter and how important that was. But I think you know, yeah. there's another question here that you can talk to about the importance of building a tool like this and having those rapid iterative loops i mean just having to listen to your users as they're telling you these new use cases and then responding so quickly is kind of a key to building this uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we really quickly realized that we don't know every single terminal workflow out there who knows them our users and we're just not our users users of the terminal and so we would sort of go cli tool by cli tool what what job are you trying to accomplish let's make sure we can make that as easy as possible to accomplish. So CDing around is a perfect example. People are so used to doing CD, you know, typing a few characters, then hitting tab, waiting for it to come up, and then selecting the thing or typing it out in full, hitting enter, then running LS to work out what the hell's in your current directory, then running CD. Okay, so the job that you want to do here is I want to navigate to a specific directory on my computer so I can perform a task. So now our job is how do we make that as easy as possible? And we can just remove LS from the equation here. We can even remove the tabbing or anything. It should just be in the same way when you go through Finder, you're using your mouse. Like how can we help you navigate your files and folders, but all from the keyboard? So one of the things we do is I type in CD space. We pop up all of the directories. We rank them by recency of accessing the directory. So if I previously had CD'd into desktop in this current working directory, that's number one, because it's pretty high chances you probably want to go there again. We can get smarter, but it turns out that algorithm works, the sorting algorithm works really, really well. And then you hit enter, you insert desktop. And then what we do is we insert the slash. And rather than making you then type CD again, we pop up all of the suggestions for the folders in your on your desktop. And then you just keep navigating around. So suddenly the CD LS dance you've been used to doing is just, it's faster than Finder. Like I just exclusively navigate around my terminal using this. And the problem that you just encountered is something that, you know, we, we never really had. And then we just learned that it was a problem was if you have folders on your computer that have special characters that bash interprets weirdly, we have to escape those characters. So if you have a space in your folder name, like you can't just type in CD, hello space world, if the folder is called hello world, 
bash freaks out and doesn't let you do it and it, it starts this whole like process of error reporting and it's annoying to get out of so all right your job is you need to navigate the directories we need to make it easy so we'll either escape the space or we'll put the folder in single quotes to make sure it the insertion is fine but then there are a bunch of other special characters like ampersand single quotes double quotes like semicolon all of these special things that bash knows are important but when you create files and folders it doesn't matter you can have all of these characters in there people even have new lines in their folders which is folder names which is so funny so we just have to be smart about how, how do we make sure that when you insert something it works and you can keep going down this tree uh, yeah so these are all these tiny little edge cases and it sounds like what happened to you is you inserted something with an apostrophe in it and we we didn't escape it properly yeah. And I mean, again, it just shows how important it is to have those uh, user flows honed in because, it, you know, as developers, we have these well-worn paths. You f we feel it instantly when we're off those paths. And, you know, one of the things that you didn't mention, the CD thing, which I think is quite ingenious, is that, yes, you do show the folders, but the first result that's selected is not the, the most recent subfolder. It's enter. You can just hit yep. enter and it will be in that folder. And that's exactly what you're talking about, that you assume the most common thing that people will do is end there. And yep. so it stops you from having to hit escape every time to say, no, I'm where I want to be. Please stop. And yep. that's so the key to being invisible. Because you could, if, if you're a power user using this tool in your terminal, theoretically, you could not change anything you want. This little box will keep appearing and you could ignore it. <laughs> It's never going yeah. to require interaction on your behalf. It's there if exactly. you'll ever want to use it, and you, you can adopt it slowly but surely in that way. That's something I've really liked about it. That's the reason why it's it's made it where other tools were installed, were interesting and in, intriguing, and then were left by the wayside because they just they can't fit in naturally. <clears throat> this one is just sitting there waiting to tell you, I got some stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> it just it wins you over one case by one case. I think that's again, if that if that was intentional, bravo. If that was accidental, bravo. It was, uh, because it's it's taken a lot of work to get there. We still have a million tiny little workflows that we want to make easier and better. But I think where we are now, it's for the most common tools, I think we do a really good job. So the part that I wanted to talk on next is something that I think is really interesting and I think counterintuitive, and you touched on it a little bit a, a bit ago, which is, you know, I, I think a lot of people, or, or at least some people, I would probably count myself as this, believe that we were on this continuum from terminal or keyboard only things all the way to the UI. And, and I remember having conversations with people like one of the common holy wars in development is whether you are one of those people that doesn't know how to get out of Vim or won't give it up or whether you're a VS code or a jet, you know, you know, brains person, whatever you use. And I thought that that was sort of, in my mind, I, I tried to win over a lot of console only people. And I was like, you guys don't know the advancements that have been made in the tooling that can help you out. And what intrigues me about things like FIG are that instead of getting rid of the console and the terminal and the keyboard interface entirely, it, it kind of combines them with the terminal as a fallback. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I've used autocomplete in tools like VS Code or other tools. And if you just cannot figure out what the what the command is called, you're stuck. You're just stuck. You, you, can't, you can't figure out how to tell the UI to do what you want it to do. You know it can do it, but you can't figure it out. What's interesting about Fig is that it can bring you UI, but 
you can always fall back to the terminal. So you're never worse off than if you only had the terminal. Um, but it can it can add those richer experiences to it. I've seen this with uh, Git Kraken as well recently. They started injecting their UI elements into the terminal if you have their sort of thing. So you can see their uh, Git history and their Git lines. This infusing UI into the terminal, I know is something that you all are experimenting more and more, obviously with the autocomplete box, but also with other tools. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, the future of adding more user interface modules to the terminal. So the first thing you talked about was keyboard versus UI. And you also spoke about using the terminal as the the like fastest way of doing things essentially. And so we we perceive it the same. It's you can drop back into the terminal anytime. As we've tried to think through every possible workflow you were going to do. And so worst case, we should never block you. You should always just be able to use the terminal and drop back into it as if Fig didn't exist. And Fig's just popping up doing its thing, but you don't have to use it. If the terminal is the fastest way of doing it and Fig is not, totally. Like you should use the terminal. Like we, our whole thing here is we want you to be as productive as possible. And it turns out that a lot of the time Fig actually is the thing that makes you more productive. So one of our guiding principles in building Fig was like you're using Fig, your worst case scenario is exactly the same as before. And most of the time now, the best case scenario is you're actually much, much faster, you're more productive. The interesting thought, we spoke to a lot of people early on and they were like, a GUI in the terminal? Like that completely defeats the purpose. What's the point? And we're actually seeing a lot more of these keyboard-driven sort of power user apps come out. Superhuman is a good example. There's linear for issue tracking. Like people want to be really, really fast. The hard thing is like learning these tools takes time. Superhuman knows this. And so they make you do a 20-minute onboarding with someone on their team to just train you up on all the different key bindings. And sometimes people just don't want to do that or it takes time. And so with Fig, like we see it as the terminal is already the thing you have to learn. Like you, if you have all your key bindings set up and you're super quick, again, drop back into the terminal and do that. Most people don't spend the time doing that. And they just like, they have to use the terminal for work, but they're just trying to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And what Fig provides is this nice UI layer that is more for visualizing things. It's, it's sort of recall memory versus recognition memory. Recognition is like, oh yeah, that's the folder I'm trying to navigate to. Like, okay, I'm just going to hit enter. Recall memory is, oh crap, like what's that folder called again? I have no idea and I'm going to have to run some other command to get it. It's just sort of popping up relevant information as you are typing. Like a weird analogy we had is Clippy, the Microsoft Word assistant from, I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Like that, uh, it's a similar idea. It's just popping up helpful contextual information that you don't have to use, but it can only make you faster. So we want Fig to be very keyboard driven, but the, the tool you are learning is still the terminal. Fig is just helping you move even faster. We're not trying to replace the terminal workflows. We're just trying to speed them up a little bit. Where do we want to go with Fig? As you were talking about Git Kraken, is, it is, and what we were just, I was just saying about the UI here is the terminal emulator itself is limited in what it can display. Like you're using these ASCII characters or these random Unicode characters. It's limited by the emulator. It's limited by the shell. You have, you know, 50 columns by 50 rows and it's these sort of square, these rectangular blocks that you can put a character in. And like it's 2021. If I want to visualize my Git history, my Git log, for instance, why are we using ASCII to do that? Like it, sure, it's cool and it's retro, but like we can use d3.js. We can use like these unbelievable sort of web UI libraries or just any UI, any library 
that is web-based or whatever to visualize stuff and to do much more powerful things. So what, we, what we're actually building with Fig is an API on top of your terminal that allows you to build web apps that can read and write to the local shell. In the same way VS Code has an extension store, and in order to build an extension, you use VS Code's API, like we want to build that extension store, that app store ecosystem for the terminal. But in order to do that, we need an API. And so what we're actually doing with V is doing all of the hard work of these integrations. We integrate with the operating system. So like if you're on Mac OS, we, that's what our focus right now, but we're going to go to Linux and Windows. Then, as I said earlier, your terminal emulator, your shell, and the CLI tools. We add all of these hooks throughout the system. We send them to our app. We package them up nicely, and we expose them as this really nice, simple JavaScript API where you can listen to changes. So anytime a user types a character into the terminal, sends it through this JavaScript API, and we get the full edit buffer of what the user has typed. We get their current working directory. We get their environment variables. We get the size of the terminal window, whatever we want. And with that information, we're just exposing that into a, like a web app. Now you can build whatever the hell you want. And so the first app that we have built using this UI, this API, sorry, is autocomplete. But what we're really excited about is opening up this API to the community, letting anyone build apps. We would, will continue doing the integrations and maintaining the integrations with the terminals across different platforms. And you can build an app that works on every single terminal emulator anywhere and share it with your team, share it with the community, use it personally. It doesn't matter. This API is going to be totally open. And so what we want to do is maintain these integrations, one. And then two, we have a ton of other apps planned that are you know, autocomplete is solving the really specific workflow of I'm going to type git commit. And if I type git commit, chances are I'm going to type dash m. But what other workflows happen in the terminal? Deployments, logging, monitoring, like run books. I'm an SRE and some production server goes down. What the hell do I do? Sharing scripts and aliases with your team. Like, oh, you know, I wrote a little script that helps me do this. And currently that's just lost in Notion or Slack. Like, there are so many tools that we can build on top of this API. Like, we've barely scratched the surface with autocomplete and we're already getting amazing traction out of autocomplete. So this is what we're really excited about. This app ecosystem for the terminal. Anyone can build an app. Anyone can share it with their team or the community. And at FIG, we are just going to keep building these app ideas because there are infinite workflows. The terminal is the glue for everything. And we are just going to slowly chip away and solve as many of these big workflows as possible. Yeah. And I mean, to me, that's what kind of takes us from being an interesting tool to a really fascinating concept. Because, you know, to some extent, why did JavaScript take over the world, right? It's just because of the ubiquity of the web. What a powerful platform that is for developing mm -hmm. apps and experiences. And that just becomes the, the scripting language that 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 feeds and opens up all those doors. Well, yeah. you know, until now, if you were using some sort of productivity tool um, and you really had an innovative way to display something, again, I mean, not to belabor it, but like Git Kraken, you know, there's a reason people kind of like that. I mean, there's a million other Git Krakens out there, but since we've been talking about them, uh, sure. you know, sure, you have this app and you got to get people to download that app. And you got to get people to install that app and they install it on all their different platforms. Well, all of a sudden the terminal now can become the platform that all the developers usually have in some form or another, pretty much whatever platform they're on. And to turn the terminal into a GUI app platform is such a fascinating idea that if you want to get out there and you want to get your cool, new, innovative way to help people's workflows out there, 
Now you can launch on the terminal and not necessarily have to have a standalone app. And your idea now can be small enough and focused enough that it doesn't have to yeah. justify being another installable on your machine that you have to keep track of and maintain and update. Um, and I just think that promise is very fascinating. And again, I did not see, <laughs> you know, that the terminal would become hip again, <laughs> that the terminal yeah. could become <laughs> the future. Um, it, you know, it felt like we were ev maybe evolving past it. And tools like Vue CLI's GUI, I love that tool. I think that has so much promise for scaffolding web uh, applications. Um, but a lot of people didn't know it existed. But what if yeah. people became more intuitively aware that your terminal can launch apps and that your apps can interface back to the terminal and you can just be transferring back and forth between GUIs, terminal, terminal, and GUIs, frictionless and in, in, in hopefully you know the way that it lands I, I think that is i don't think people can fully appreciate what that might be able to do um as far as the promise of of giving people more cool tools at their disposal you should be you should run marketing for us rob you're doing a great yeah. job this is perfect <laughs> I'll, I'll send you my rate sheet. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. The, what you just said about views CLI GUI is a perfect example of the sort of stuff we want built inside of Fig. Uh, for people who don't know, Vue has a, a, a as in Vue.js, has a CLI tool. I forget what the exact subcommand is. Let's just call it GUI. You type in Vue GUI, and what it does is it pops open a browser, a new tab in your browser, and which can it knows everything about your file system. It's very similar to Jupyter Notebooks, for instance. You can navigate around your file system and then you can init projects. If you go to a view project, you can then see like all of this contextual information, what works, what doesn't, you can run tests. You can, I think eventually build extensions or whatever. It's like really cool. It's really well done. But the, the problem, you know, we find with it and the same with Jupyter Notebooks is it's taking you into the browser and we sort of consider browser like, no man's land. It's scary. You go in there, you get totally lost. Like you're stuck into the browser forever. You come back an hour later and go, oh yeah, I was trying to do this one function. And here I am on the, the 50th page of some GitHub issue. Like I, I've totally got lost. So we want to keep, there are these developer specific tools. They should be as close to the terminal as possible. You shouldn't have to context switch out of the terminal. You just want to get your task done and get it, get in and get out as quickly as possible. And like Jupyter Labs has done a great job with that with its notebooks. Vue CLI has done a good job. Even tools like Fish, the shell, you can type in, I think it's fish underscore config, and it opens up this GUI, helps you customize your terminal in your like shell and your prompt in Fish. Like super cool. These things exist, but they're not discoverable. And when they are, you, you're not going to them as frequently as you'd hope. And this was a problem we had with Fig really early on, was we built all of these cool tools. We built a Postman clone into Fig. It was literally like making curl requests. It was exactly like Postman, super lightweight. It was right there in your terminal. It was great. Like I still use it all the time, but people would be, people would download it at download fig. They type in fig curl. I think you still actually can do this if you have fig and suddenly it would pop up and you would do the task you need to get done and you get out of there, but then you don't run a curl request for two weeks and you forget about fig and you go back to Postman. And so what we found is you can build all of these really cool apps but they have to solve like really cool workflows that people do regularly. Otherwise people are going to go, this is cool. And then forget about it the next week. And that's why we started with autocomplete. And that's why we spent so much time making all of these tiny little things really perfect because uh, if you get lost, uh, sorry, if you can easily forget about 
what's going on in the terminal. And it's, yeah, I guess I'm rambling now, but we focused on you're using Fig 20 plus times a day or you shouldn't be using it at all. That's it. Like, let's just make sure you're using it 20 plus times a day. And then we're going to launch these, this app store ecosystem in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure as you're building something, it's always difficult to maintain the discipline to not pursue all the avenues of possibility and to stay to stay humble and stay focused on the problems in front of you. But, you know, again, that promise is super interesting. And I think, you know, another area where this has promised both the building of these apps on this API, but one of the things I'm curious about is your approach to um, the, the pluggability of some of the autocomplete features that you provide, right? There are more CLIs than your team could possibly ever find. Um, and exactly, some of those yeah. CLIs are going to be proprietary or private or internal or enterprise. And I'm kind of curious what the pluggability, plugin vision for even that portion of FIG is. Is it, does it just mostly take the format of people doing PRs of their, of their CLI to the main repository? Is there an ability for people that have proprietary or enterprise uh, tooling to, to integrate that with FIG? Like kind of what's your, both what's your reality now and kind of what's your vision for that going forward? We very quickly realized that we cannot build everything very quickly. The terminal is the glue for every developer tool ever. And we are a small team and we just can't do that. So what we quickly turned our focus to was building the infrastructure that made it easy for you to build your own tools. That is always going to be a focus on FIG, for FIG. Autocomplete is the first example here. There are a million CLI tools out there. We want to support all of them. We cannot support all of them. Let's make our focus as let's make it so ridiculously easy to build your own autocomplete spec. An autocomplete spec is this very simple standard that we have defined, which is just like a tree-like representation of a CLI tool. And you define that and suddenly you have a CLI tool. Like most of these autocomplete tools today are built in this imperative standard where, right, take in the full string of what the user has typed, do all the mapping and the parsing yourself, and then output the string, uh, output the list of suggestions. We just were like, that's silly. Most CLI tools have pretty much the same structure. They have subcommands, they have options, and they have arguments. Can we define a standard ourselves that can map to, it can cater to almost every CLI tool out there? It took us a bunch of time, but yeah, we've done it. We've defined this very simple declarative standard. And so now to build autocomplete, it's literally like, okay, I'm building Git's autocomplete. Here are the subcommands for Git, commit, push, pull, whatever. And then here are the options associated with these subcommands. Save that. It's a nice little tree like object in JavaScript. And that's it. Like suddenly you have autocomplete. You literally go to your terminal, type Git, and all of this stuff is out there. So our focus is how can we make it so ridiculously easy for you to build these tools? And one of the, you know, people build their own autocomplete specs for their own shortcuts. It's that easy. It's like, oh yeah, I want to build a shortcut. I have to run this crazy workflow all the time. I want a shortcut for it. I just build my own completion spec. Like we have an internal completion spec at Fig with all of the random workflows that we have to do. They're all just right there. Like I never have to context switch out to Notion or Confluence or anything. It's all there. When you were talking about private autocomplete versus public autocomplete. So this is, we are adopting the GitHub model here of anything that's public and that's free and open source, like we're going to host and we're going to make it free and we're going to make it open source. We want the community contributing as much as possible. And then as soon as you want an internal, like completions, for instance, for your internal CLI tool, like 
we're going to charge per person per month or maybe some flat monthly fee. It's actually something we're working on right now. Like we have the infrastructure set up. We haven't really been pushing it because our focus is like, let's make sure we've ironed out all of these tiny little kinks first for autocomplete. And to, to do that, we want contributions from the public because the public are using all of these different tools every day. So we've really been focusing on our open source repo, on open source contributions, and it's paid off. Like we have... 6,000 stars on GitHub, which is good. It's not like life-changing, but it's still pretty good. But the ratio of contributed stars to contributors we have is one of the highest that I think I've ever seen. We have 6,000 stars and 110 contributors at this point, which is crazy. Like for a small project with such a small team, 110 contributors, it's like crowdsourcing that sort of level of contributions. It's sort of nuts. And we that's all because we've made it so easy to contribute. And now the follow-on effects are, if it's easy to contribute, it must be easy to build your own spec. And if it's easy to build your own spec, you can build your own internal tools that are private. And you know, this is our monetization strategy of let's make it easy to build the tools. If it's public, it's free. And if it's private, it's paid. It's a standard payment model that you do with GitHub and like all of these other like dev tools. And we uh, we're just capitalizing on that, but starting with the open source community. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, I, I, of course, we want everybody that's listening here to give this a try. Again, not because this is not a, a, a sponsored situation or anything like that, but I just, you know, we think that these tools are interesting and we think that if nothing else in the process of using these tools, you will learn a little bit more about yourself, a little bit more about the terminal and, of course, ways to build businesses and tools that are like this before. But I know one of the things that as developers, we're not a trusting lot. And in a post-Alexa world, everyone is always just really curious with anything that is hooked into your terminal. I'm really kind of curious if you could just share with people kind of what your standards are around privacy, around user data, around recording, you know, what, what is it being used for? How, you know, what do people need to be worried for people that have those kind of fears? Uh, you know, what do you say to people like that? So 100% privacy, data security, especially in the terminal, this very secure and secretive environment, top of mind all the time, security and privacy. Like without a question, we have to do it. Like not just because we want to do it, it's sorry, not just because we have to do it, it's because we want to do it. The One of the hard things with our tool is we are this sort of GUI on top of your terminal. It's not like we're a SaaS app where we can pop up and ask for feedback. Like it's your terminal. It's, it's as I just said, it's sacred. So we can't just be popping up and asking for feedback and you know asking for donations and asking to monetize in your terminal. People are gonna hate that. So one of the decisions we made really early on was let's have a wait list and let's have an email sign-in. And the email sign-in, a lot of people are just like, you must be stealing my data. You must be selling it. You must be doing this which is a totally fair assumption. Like you don't, like you actually do log into a lot of CLI tools. Git, for instance, you put your email into it. Like a, a lot of tools you do end up, that you use regularly, you do end up logging into. But it was just, people just assumed that because we were autocomplete and because we were focused on open source, we were never gonna make money. And if that's the case, we must be selling people's data. If we're VC backed, we're offering a free tool, we have to be selling people's data. And I think the problem there is we did a bad job of pitching the vision, which I pitched earlier uh, on the show, is we look, we have so much other stuff planned. We are going to sell all of these sort of internal private tools to teams. We have this app store ecosystem where we're going to have a community building apps. We're going to build the best in class apps for teams, for sharing scripts, for logging, for monitoring, for all of these different things. Autocomplete is just the first app we are building to show that this is actually something that people want and that we can provide value to your workflow. So when we ask for your email, it's literally so I can send two emails after you sign up. 
one the day you sign up and then one you know like i think two or three days after you sign up asking for feedback anyone who signs up is going to get an email from me and it may seem aggressive we get a ton of responses from it people are so honest and willing to say like yeah exactly hey this worked for me but when i inserted a folder that had a comma in it or like an apostrophe in it it didn't work and we'll go thank you for that feedback there is no way we could have known that without this feedback we're going to fix this for you we're not trying to steal your data we're trying to make fig better and so we can get to the next stage of building this app store ecosystem the hard thing is we know that some people are just not going to believe us and that's really tough and we have just made the decision that right now like we're going to keep this email login and you know you're going to have you can read our privacy policy fig.io slash privacy it's not like a legalese you know massive thing it's literally us writing out here is exactly what you, we do with your data and here is exactly what we do not do and here are the things that we're going to hold true for the rest of our company's history or life like we are so upfront about it and for the moment we are just we've made the the calculus that there are going to be some people who don't like it but in order for us to improve we have to get this feedback we have to be able to ask you what isn't working and they're like surprisingly most people actually do not care as long as we're upfront about stuff people are fine with it. And in the future, once we get this feedback, we can get rid of the email signing. We can get rid of all of this stuff because we built an app where we give it out to thousands of people and it's straight, it's stable. Things work exactly as expected. We integrate with your dev environment so we can eventually get the people who, who do really care about email signing and like uh, understandably care about privacy way a, a lot more than other people so we can get them on board. So yeah, to summarize, feed.io slash privacy outlines everything we do. Even when you sign up, we have a very clear like, here is the, a summary of our privacy policy. And if you want to entirely opt out of like everything, you can actually do that as well. There's a, a command you can run that just turns it off. I, I can't remember. I, I did get the email after a couple of days and I, I can't remember if the email does say that it's automated, but that all of it is yeah. read or something like that. And I was like, you know, I respect that honesty. You know what? I'm going to give some feedback. And I did. And then I was surprised that I got, like I said, we got reached back to, I don't know if it was the same day or if it was early the next day. It was very, It was a very quick turnaround. And I was like, wow, that was a great, I, I knew somebody was going to read it. I didn't expect a response. And, you know, I, I think that's useful for people. And I think people listening that try it out should know that, you know, if you think that this tool has promise for you, but it's just a little off. I mean, I talk to these people. I mean, some people, it doesn't, they have interesting terminal arrangements yeah. um, that they have different arrangements and, and they don't work yet. And they're like, oh, I, I want to love this tool, but like, it just doesn't work for mine. And, and what's great is they reach out and, or, or, you know, you reach out to those people personally and ask like, hey can you can you tell us more information we want to make this work and i i think that's awesome you know the tool's still in development try it i think people should try it out and again just see what it has to offer if it doesn't work out yet send the feedback and then check back because i think this is definitely a tool that um hopefully at least it's going to be around for a long time because i i yeah. i have forgotten i've had it installed and i think i will yeah. notice when it isn't installed anymore we're so hungry for this feedback and we actually spend a lot of our time debugging people say they have a problem with fig and it turns out there was a problem with another cli tool that was installed months pre before that they didn't even realize existed and we're going in and we're like debugging that their dot files with them and it's not fig related we just want to learn everything about what could go wrong and we often come across the same errors there was a big error that was like we hit number one on hack and use we found this error when people installed brew tons of people make the exact same mistake because of some ambiguity in brew's installation script we wrote up a bug report like we actually changed the way that brew installs brew to avoid this error happening because it was happening to so many of our users and fig would break and people would think fig was broken it was actually a brew problem so like we 
we want to get to know your dev environment as, as much as possible so we can help you get this set up. If it doesn't work, like we will make it work. It is our num- like support I am huge on. Like, I don't even think of it as support. It is like, you're our user forever. Like we want to make sure you're happy. And if you're not happy right now, we are going to tell you the steps as to how we're going to make you happy in the future. Like we really want this to be the, t- the terminal tool. You download, you get a new computer, you download Fig. Well, there you go. So you heard it here. Even if you're not going to use the tool, you're going to make the development world a better place by finding bugs in other tools. Um, awesome. Well, we are coming up to the end here. So as we sort of wrap up, uh, Brendan, is there any way for people that got inspired today, either they're not using FIG and they're interested to find out how they can find out more about it or maybe try it out, or for people that maybe have been using it and they got super fascinated by that app API concept or the you know the CLI stuff, you kind of tell people how they can get um, sort of, in, you know, get into this a little bit more. Of course. So we still have a wait list. As I said, we're still in a private beta. But for anyone listening to the podcast today, we've set up a custom invite code. I'll throw a few hundred invites on, maybe a few thousand. We'll see how we go. If it, if it, we'll just keep adding invites. The code is if you the URL fig.io slash invite and then question mark code equals modern web. Fig.io slash invite question mark code equals modern web, no caps, no spaces. That will just take you to a link, put your email in, we'll send you a download link, skip the wait list. The reason we have the wait list is, as I said, it's like, we wanna make sure everyone has the best experience with Fig possible. And it's not this like cool exclusivity thing. It is purely, we have limited resources and we wanna make sure the experience is really, really good. And we're getting to the stage now where we can onboard a lot of users and out of the box, the experience is just great. It works, there are very few problems because we've been so big on support. So go to that website, get the uh, downloaded, feel free, you'll get some messages from me. Please respond to the feedback. We will we will not only read it, we will respond. And if there's a problem, we will fix it. If you have a feature idea, we will implement it or tell you when we are gonna implement it. Like we wanna hear as much as possible. Like we love the terminal, we wanna make it as good as possible for you. And then the last thing I'll say is follow us on Twitter at fig or join our community, fig.io slash community. We the, the terminal is this isolated place. You often read some random article about like a little productivity shortcut and there's no like central community for it. And this is what we're trying to create with FIG is there are people who spend all day in the terminal. They think about it all day and they have no way about learning new stuff other than just random articles that come up. And we want the FIG Discord and the FIG Twitter to be all about the terminal all about like how can I make my life more productive and better and faster? How can I get my job done in the terminal so I can go on and do better things and, and move on with my life? So at Fig on Twitter is uh, definitely one to follow. Awesome. I don't even want to know or ask what you had to do to get at Fig on Twitter, but congratulations on that at least. <laughs> it was a steal. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good. <laughs> And for those of you that were frantically trying to write down that code, don't worry. It will be in the description of the podcast or video that you're watching right now. Um, but that will do it for us today on this topic about browser, the future of the terminal, as well as FIG. Of course, we want to thank our guest, Brendan, who is here today. We like to say that the conversation doesn't have to stop here. So if you have any questions about anything that you heard today, or you want to respond to any of the ideas or the thoughts that were shared here, please reach out to us on Twitter. You can find Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Falk. So that's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-F-A-L-K. You can find me on Twitter at RoboCell. That's R-O-B-O-C-E-L-L. And of course, you can find us, uh, this podcast, at at modern.web. So thank you, everybody, for being here today. Thank you, Brendan. And we will see everybody next time. 
This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. For all of your friends and you.